Hi, I'm Mika Mo. I'm Jeff Waters, and this is We're Done Here, an emotional wellness comedy podcast. So, Mika, tell me about your week. My week? Oh, my God, Jeff. It's been so busy. So I've been traveling a lot. Where have you been? Um, so I've been in L.A. and also Cleveland. Um, I, <laughs> random, right? The, the two, like, shining stars of the country. Most definitely. Um, to, but leaving New York, which is which is n- nice in August, I will say that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but essentially, I went to L.A. to do some shows, um, to meet some West Coast comedians. Um, shout out to, like, everyone who put me up. Uh, shout out to um, the Hollywood Comedy. Shout out to Flappers and Burbank. Shout out to the Legacy Lounge, shout out to the Comedy Store, shout out to everybody who kind of put Mika Mo up. Thank you, guys. It was a great experience. Um, it's interesting doing comedy outside of New York because everyone's a little nicer. And they also, <laughs> they also like, treat the comedians better. Like, they had better green rooms. They had green rooms. Well, that was, like, start. my first, like, wow, you have a green room? <laughs> and then it was they were, like, giving me water and drink tickets, and everyone paid me... It was it was it was awesome, yeah. And I actually, um, who else did I do a show? I did um, this um, this organization called the I want to say that they're called the Twerp Market or whatever they're called. Anyway, they gave me this amazing gift bag. Oh wow, swag! Yeah, amazing swag. Um, they deal in medicinal marijuana, so it was <laughs> a bunch of edible CBD oils, just like good stuff. Right, and I see you didn't bring any of that. But, I, I, to uh, share. Yeah, you know what? You can't take it across state lines, Jeff. You so just, you just had a binge there. Most definitely, I was I was high as fuck every single goddamn day. I really was, and I love it. You know, you know one thing I love about LA. They just have great food. Like everyone talks about how everyone's so skinny in LA, and I'm just like, I don't know how you're skinny with this level of amazing food. They have like, the fish was fantastic. They have great soul food. They have great Asian. They just got all the great foods. Like they have the great foods that we don't have because like they have a different. They ethnic, have the opposite foods. Yeah, like the, a different a different ethnic concentration. Right. So they have better Mexican food. They have better soul food. They have better like I don't know healthy rabbit food shit. It was <laughs> it was fantastic. And then um, I went to Cleveland um to do um the Six City. Uh, comedy festival, which is their first, um, it's their first year they're doing it in Cleveland. Um, this comedian named Marla put it all together by herself, a black woman. Oh, nice. And yeah, she got all of us comedians together and a um, bunch of comedians from DC, from, from the Midwest, who I've never met. Comedians came from LA, some comedians came from New York. And it was like a great weekend of bonding. And Cle- I've never fucking been to Cleveland before <laughs> in my life. Me neither. I mean, it was interesting. Like, it was a lot nicer than I thought it would be. Yeah, I saw some of your pictures on Instagram, and it looked like more of a city than I imagined. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought I expected like cornfields. Yeah, I was picturing like my hometown, where there's like a town square and there's main streets. I was like, oh, this is a city, city. <laughs> the food, you know, not as great as LA. I think I, you know what? I, what did I eat there that like totally blew my mind? I had. Casserole. Oh well, <laughs> I didn't have a casserole, but I probably should have. Um, but I, ha- I don't know. I just had like the most weirdest fatty food. None of it was uh, especially good. But I probably, I was just honestly just 
having a great time meeting the comedians. Um, a lot of funny people in the Midwest. I hope they come up here to New York. Um, and I hope to go back down there, yeah. Yeah, hopefully they'll do that again next year and invite you back. Most definitely, yeah. It's been a good time. It's been a good week. How was your week, Jeff? Oh, Mika, my week. Um, I have been, like, essentially bedridden for three weeks with, like, what? a herniated disc. What happened? Yeah. I, life, like, I asked the, I met with a surgeon because I'm probably going to have surgery. And um, I was like, do you, can you, like, pinpoint what happened? And he was like... I don't know. Sometimes just like shocks on cars come bad from the factory. I was oh, like, wow. That's not helpful. That's a great analogy, though. Like, who is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> He's probably the person who's going to be cutting me open in about a week. Okay, so. get him on the podcast. No. <laughs> Maybe he'll give me like a discounted rate. Right. <laughs> um, but no, so I've just been like literally just kind of like bedridden. So I've done nothing. I like set up because I have like a nine to five, like white collar job, mm-hmm. like secretarial stuff. Um, admin and so I literally like in my bed set up like a second screen oh, and wow. like I mean it looks I, it looks like you know that scene from uh, this what is it the skeleton something the one with Denzel Washington where he's like working from the his bed because he's paralyzed oh it's wow. just like all of that oh, that's what I, I feel like okay got you <laughs> um, so I like stare at my computer screen from my bed from nine to five and then I stare at my TV from my bed from five until midnight and oh, then wow. I sleep in my bed from midnight until nine Every, everything is happening in your bed except for is, is the there... one thing that needs to be happening like I physically can't do right now oh god um yeah so i like it's just been nothing i've just like watched way too much tv and like of course documentaries which um did you ever watch wild wild country on netflix you know i have not i don't watch is it like an animal thing or is it like a planet thing? no it's a cult thing oh really yeah it's fascinating okay but i it was like a big it was like all the rage i think like maybe three years ago or something and then i found out that this woman who was like basically like po- tried to poison this town and like threatened to kill people. What? She was like she was like number two in the cult and was basically running it. Oh my god, I gotta see She's this. like the most fascinating person you've ever seen. Okay, but she had her own documentary that came out like a year later because there's like she got famous from this documentary, even mm. though it happened in like the '80s or whatever. Um, so I watched that and I was like, oh, this is. And I hate to say like hero because like. She's obviously a bad person, yeah. but she's fascinating. So it's like an icon, even though like a bad one. Um, so I was like so excited to see this like singular documentary just about her. And it was awful. What's that one called? The one about her? So her name is Sheila. Okay. She went by like in the cult. She, she was Ma Non Sheila. Okay, weird. Um, but <laughs> so this new one that it came out in April, but I literally didn't know until this week, is called Searching for Sheila. And oh. she basically like... She was essentially kind of like banned in India from all of this, even though it happened in Oregon, which was weird. She was banned in India. Yeah, she's like from India. And this like cult that was a commune that turned into a cult started in um, India and then spread. And they like built their own city out in Oregon. Weird. Why do people always start in India and then come to Oregon? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he like took all the the guy who was running it, uh, Bhagwan Sri Raj- Rajneesh or something. Um took all these like because you know like the 80s was like all about the yuppies where everyone yeah. was like on yachts or whatever yeah, bullshit yeah, yeah. so he's taking all these rich people's money and to like start this commune he just like rode around all day in rolls royces or like a, in, around oregon which i don't really understand the appeal of that but whatever interesting 
But so she was just like fascinating. And but for whatever reason, like once it came out, she tried to poison the town and all of this. And she went to prison for three years. She was like essentially like. I don't know if she was banned, but like essentially excommunicated from India. So she's been living in either Switzerland or Sweden. I can't remember which since since like 1989 when she got out of prison. And so because she got famous again from Wild Wild Country, like a year later, someone put together like a press tour for in India. So she goes and I'm like expecting this to be really interesting and whatever. But like. All she does is just, like, she gets annoyed that they're, like, asking about what happened in the cult and did she really try and poison these people. And like, well, she's trying to sell books and berries now? What no, that's the thing. And someone <laughs> asked her, they're like, what? You don't want to talk about this. What is what is the point? Like, redemption? And she's just like, you know, of course, it's one of those scenes where she just kind of, like, looks off and the camera, like, goes to the next scene. So it's never made clear, like, what the point of this whole documentary is. It, it basically was very upsetting because she had been so fascinating in these this footage from the 80s, and now she just, like, brought down all of her clout by doing this. Oh, damn. She's just, so. you know what? You got to know when to fold them. Exactly. Know when to hold them. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. But, yeah, so I've just been watching bad documentaries. Okay, yeah. It sounds, so. like, sounds, like, sounds like you're back in the pandemic. It feels like that, except mm-hmm. at least I could walk around my apartment in early days. But, um, um, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what's on the horizon. I may be having surgery. Hopefully, I just want my life back. No, most definitely get that. Get your life back. Get your, get your bed back. I, yeah, I need I need <laughs> to have more activity going on than watching bad documentaries. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so something I was wanting to talk about today um, is the sort of concept of the rope ladder. So, are you familiar with that at all? What does that even mean, Jeff? So, <laughs> I know it sounds like I'm like I sound like I'm in a cult now, yeah, just like, talking out of my ass. <laughs> rope ladder cult. Yes. So I'm like a big fan of this other podcast called Attitudes. Okay. Um, that's co-hosted by Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi. And she talks about women's issues and he talks about queer issues. Mm. And he, I don't know if he created this concept, but he's who I heard it from, so I'm giving him the credit. Okay. But just essentially how um like people within a marginalized group will kind of work together to fight for their rights and justice and, you know, things that should just be a given, but that we have to fight for as marginalized people. And there's always like in any situation, there's always a certain subset that kind of like makes it to the top first. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of this in a minute, but essentially Some people, once they make it to the top and they're out of, like, this sort of degrading situation, will look back down and, like, offer a helping hand to pull out the rest of that I got you. Yeah. Um, But there are other people that treat it like a rope ladder where once they get up to the top, they, like, rush to pull it up. Oh, so we call—well, I guess we kind of have—well, sometimes we call it the crabs in the barrel— Scenario. Oh, I had never thought about it that way, but like that visual image is perfect for that. Yeah, it's yeah. like people. So okay, got you. So it's the same it. thing. Either whatever you want to call it, that's the kind of the concept I want to talk about. Okay, today. that makes sense. And the example that Brian is constantly having to use it for because he's focused on like queer issues on every episode of their mm-hmm. podcast is is basically me. It's white cisgender gay men. Oh, how they. You know how <laughs> y'all just forget about everyone no, else. You're right. Yes, you're right. yes, yes, yes. So unfortunately, um, 
a, a lot of people have done that. Like no, a lot of definitely. straight white or not straight white cis white gay men. Um, you know they. So like obviously Ellen came out and was like a pioneer in like she, the late nineties. I 90s. remember when she came out. It was I used to love that show by the way. I did too. It was a great show. It was so funny. Funny, 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 funny. But you know that like ruined her career. No, it did like so, for a while until she yeah. till Oprah got off air. And then Ellen became, you know, Oprah Light or whatever. <laughs> right. but white Oprah, yeah. She, yeah, white Oprah. She became an icon, essentially. Right, which, I mean, now she's kind of, like, on now the downhill we, slide now again. Now we hate but... her. And now we officially, now it's like, okay, Ellen, I've been with you my whole life. Right. I kind of have to drop you off now on the corner because you're mean. It's something about people just getting to that age where they're just like, no, like, we're done helping people. We're done changing. That and... bitch is, Ellen is fucking old as fuck. I know, that's what I'm saying. She just got to, she, like, hit, like... What is it, 60, 65? I don't even know how she's old like she is. Seven, almost 70 or oh something crazy like that. She's well, then young. she held out a little longer than her peers. She really so. did. She really <laughs> I'll did. give her that. But no, it was just she came out, which was very brave. And I, so I want to make sure as I'm saying this, I give her the credit. But that like ruined her career. And no, so we did. had this period of a couple years where there really wasn't any queer representation in the media. True. So, but then when that kind of got kicked up again in like the late 90s, early 2000s, so much of that representation was only for, it wasn't for trans people at all. No, of course not. And it wasn't for queer people of color. Definitely not. And rarely was it for even like white lesbians. It was Will and Grace, essentially. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so it was Will and Grace, which you had two men on yeah, that show the portraying. Gay side yeah. <laughs> and and it, it was almost like these are your two options. You can be like super flamboyant yeah. and femme. Yeah. Or you can be like Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the I bet he watched that growing up and he's like, that's what I'm doing with he's my like, life. I am Will <laughs> <laughs> And now they're having a baby, or they just oh, have yeah, a baby. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I just, I just, I did just see that. Congratulations to them. You know, Pete's husband's not that cute. Not that it matters. No. I just thought he would come with a little bit more something, like, because he was about to be the first husband. You know what I mean? So maybe it's more like, maybe it's more real. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's not, he's not doing it for clout. He, he, so, they, yeah, exactly. You know. They must love each other. Right. This isn't like, this isn't like Cheyenne Jackson showing up or something. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, but no, so it was Will and Grace, and then like I mean, there have been I, I'm clearly not going to be able to name everything, no. but there was there was Will and Grace, which two white white gay guys. Mm -hmm. There was Queer as Folk, both Queer the, as Folk. That was a good show. That was my show back in the day, Jeff. Well, that's coming back too, and it's going to oh, be more yeah. diverse this time. I want to watch the new one, but maybe <laughs> I'll maybe I'll watch it if it's diverse. But I mean, to your point, you I mean, you know, by watching that, it was a bunch of white gay guys. It was guys. A, a bunch of, and what was, the, what was the hot one's name? Brian? I don't even remember anyway, since so long, but, but it was a long time. But ago. it was just this group of like white gay guys. No, definitely white gay guys. And then it, that kind of parlayed into like modern family where yeah. you've got Cameron and Mitchell. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And again, it's almost like that Will and Grace dichotomy of like, you've got one that's like super flamboyant. Yeah. And then Mitchell was kind of flamboyant, but a little more straight laced. No, most I like and that. Also I like a the lawyer. body positivity. Yeah, no. That at least nice. we got someone who wasn't like you know really thin and fit and yes. whatever. So we were getting, I guess that that was their diversity. It's like yes. we're not going to give you like <laughs> a trans or a non-binary person or a person of color, but yeah. he can like you know weigh you know two fifty or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> so um, anyway, 
speaking of that, just quick tangent. I used to wear Paisley shirts all the time before that no. show came out. And I am a bigger guy and kind yeah. of have like a similar facial structure to Eric oh Stone God. Street. Yes. So like the moment that show came out, I was like, well, we can donate all these to Goodwill because I can't ever again. <laughs> It's very upsetting. Like, Eric Stone Street should, like, write me a check. Oh, that's hilarious. So, that is so funny. I love him. But anyway, go on. <laughs> no. So, but it's just through, I mean, like, the last five years or so, we've had some true diversity. Now, we're getting more, yeah, we're getting more queer representation of various colors. We have Billy Porter out here in the streets. We have uh, Pose came out. They also, there's a show on... Um, HBO uh, about the ballroom scene. Like, there's more. Right. Even though I have some pro- I have problems with all these. None of them are perfect, yes. but at least they're, like, making an effort, which <laughs> exactly. was not something that was done until, what, 2015? No. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So it was just, I, I don't know. I feel like when we as Americans look and say, like, oh, there's all this, like, queer acceptance, yes and no, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of that, when people, like, who are not part of the queer community or who are not like progressives, even if you're just like a moderate conservative, if you're okay with that, what you have in your mind is a picture of like a very clean cut, Mm -hmm. all American white guy. Yes. And I, um, I just feel like, so that was happening on one like track. Yeah. Is that like white cis gay men were getting um, like, acceptance and whatever by the media. And then at the same time, we had this fight going on for marriage equality. Yes. So that, you know, the bulk of that work, we were all kind of banded together for sure, but the bulk of that work, as always, was done by, like, people of color, queer people of color. And even though they got that right, the same as, like, white gay men did in 2015 with the Supreme Court. Yeah. Like, they have other, there are other problems that we need to help out with. And I really feel like around 2015, when the Supreme Court made that decision, there were a lot of white cis gay men who were like, we've got tolerance from media representation. Now we've secured the right to marry. Like, we're good. No, and I literally, oddly, I literally had a uh, a cis uh, gay white uh, male friend tell me that uh, as long as I can get married, I really don't care what happens with everyone else. I actually don't talk to him anymore. I hope you don't. Because I'm just like, dude, what the hell? He didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, so that was my... <laughs> uh, well, so that's two strikes, two that was, I was like, okay, but then he said that is basically... I, I was like, you real Because as a black person, it's like, they what they do is they give you the rights and then they slowly chip away at it. Exactly. And how they do that is they focus on the most marginalized in your perceived group and they chip away at their rights. And pretty soon you may think you have the right to marry, but depending on the state, they'll they'll right. should they'll chip at that. Keep keep it like like if you think about black people and voter rights, like after the uh, Civil War, essentially we were in Congress. We were doing all these things during the Reconstruction period. Um, you know, the Southern Democrats took that away very quickly. And we had to go through basically 100 more years to fight for our freedom. So if anything, the queer community should really learn from that struggle. Like, it's like, hello, it's already happening. They're tripping away at trans rights already. 
Yeah, and I just the problem is I think that some of these, and I obviously am not lumping myself into this category, so I know that there are like, you know, white gay cis men that are still like see the value. Uh, and importance of continuing to lift up the rest of the queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this is obviously not a target at, uh, this is not a blanket statement. This is not a target at anybody. Please don't like DM me. I'm not interested. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying for the people who do, and and I also, just so that this isn't like all on like white cis gay men, I wanted to bring up the example of like the women suffragettes of the oh, early yes. 1900s. That's, That's another example. So, you know, for a while, like, to an extent, all women were who were interested in that movement were banded together, and it didn't matter as much if some of them were black. Mm. Um, well, I mean, early days. <laughs> early, early days. Early days, yes. They just wanted to, like, build their numbers. Yeah. And then as it got more real and closer to happening, mm-hmm. and they were having, like, serious meetings and, like, you know, the Seneca Falls Convention. They're like, okay. And like Susan B. Anthony, who had been like essentially friends with Frederick Douglass, was like, you're not allowed to come to this like meeting in Atlanta because it's going to like, we can't scare the white people. No, most definitely. They they definitely said that. And so it's just another example of like, you're kind of using the other people in your marginalized community. And then once you get what you want – like you throw the rest of that that group away. Yeah, it's almost like wait your turn. We need to get this. Right. It's a, there's always like this layer of waiting your turn for people of color, for women, for um, queerness that's not accepted. You know what I mean? Right. So it's this narrative that yeah, it's yeah, it's with every marginalized group. Yeah, and it's just it's something that we all again. This is not. I I didn't do this topic for this podcast to chastise like white gay cis men. I did this so oh, that all of us way. Come on. <laughs> I, I know there can be like some <laughs> some self, you know, punishment going on. So because I mean I don't sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you just don't know until it's pointed out to you. So if nothing else, what I'm wanting to do by like bringing this up is just like all of us, no matter what group you're in, unless by some weird chance you're listening to the two of us as a like white straight guy. <laughs> which is probably rare. Hi, white straight guy. We love you too. No, Thanks, me. Terry. Thanks. Because you know it's just one guy named Terry. That's, that's true. That's that, right. that Thanks, Terry. True. Thank you. Um, but no, I just think that there's potential for all of us to like look at like whatever groups we're in, whether it's racial, gender, sexual orientation, or even just like religious groups, and, you know, to an extent, like, I kind of see this rope ladder phenomenon happening right now with the situation in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, you know, that's been in the news a lot the last week or so. Um, by the time this airs, God only knows what will happen. Um, but I just feel like, you know, I always do the worst thing. and I make the mistake of reading the comments on, like, the CNN article. Oh, so I, love, I love reading comments. I respond to comments. <laughs> I don't. I just, like, my blood pressure goes up. Oh, so it's, it's the worst thing for me to do. But there are just so many people that comment on stuff like that. It's just this heartbreaking, like, crisis there that they're just like, we need to take care of all our problems at home. These people can, like, fend for themselves. And I'm like, number one, you shouldn't look at the world through that, like, ever but also like we kind of created a lot 95% of this problem I mean the problem is technically ours so like I don't understand we should it's interesting because like I think 
you know, it, it, it's, it's very interesting, especially bringing up the Afghanistan phenomenon, because I feel like Americans, we benefit from the imperialism and, like, whatever we're doing, but we turn a blind eye towards that. Right. And now we have this humani- humanitarian crisis. It's like, are we going to open up our borders uh, to, these, to these Afghanis? Probably not, because there's a ha- half, half the country is probably very anti that. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, just this idea that, like, I mean, we have military presence in countries all over the world. So that was why I didn't understand, like, what was the point in doing this big pullout of there when you know, like, in my, you know, I don't know enough about politics to even be speaking on this, but in my opinion, seeing what I'm seeing now, it would not be surprising if within five years the Taliban is, like, completely taken over that country and starts planning similar 9-11 attacks. I mean, the Taliban is, I mean, they made a, they made a, they made a huge comeback. I mean, like, they say don't call the comeback, but like, I thought we were done with the Taliban. They came back, like, with the thunder, with their sandals and their dresses on, with their rifles. I mean, they're doing it. Um, You know, the world is getting more extreme in a sense and becoming more religious. Um, And not just there. And not just here as well. We're all getting. We're all getting a little crazy. Um, I would I would say we're all getting a little right wing religious. It's happening everywhere. So I say that yeah, the Taliban to me it's already won. Like I'm just astonished by their ability to take over Afghanistan so quickly. I know it was like I mean it was like day one. They were like yeah. oh no we're back. Yeah. And I like I'm so naive that like I just thought that that was kind of like stamped out when we went to war in like the mid 2000s. Oh, definitely not. So so I mean, this was shocking to me. So that's why I'm just like to any like GoFundMe or like Afghan charity. I'm just like, here, let me open my wallet because like I want to like vomit every time I read the news. And I do feel like so much of it is on us as Americans. And I feel like, again, going back to this whole concept of like, check your privilege, watch out for the rope ladder, don't be a person who pulls it up. Like, just because we got bin Laden and whatever, and like, you know, got payback for 9-11 and all of that, to me, that's like the version of this where we got ours and now we're pulling the rope ladder up and all of these poor people in Afghanistan are being like beaten to death and beheaded and shot and raped and... You know, just I, I can't even like imagine. No, it, it's 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 truly horrible. It's truly a humanitarian crisis. And yeah, we are turning our back on our fellow man for our own. I don't know, just own our own like selfishness in a sense. And I think because definitely in the black community, we have this concept of this, I guess, this rope ladder thing, if you will. Or the, the crab pot or the, oh, crabs in the barrel. Yeah. But it's basically more or less about everybody wants that proximity to privilege, right? And, like, the pinnacle of privilege is kind of like, you know, your white, you know, male who's wealthy. Right. So everyone's trying to, I don't know, kind of get that sort of status that they've been robbed of, in a sense. Um, And the closer they get to that, the more they forget everyone else. But essentially... What we should be focused on is not having, like, this one symbol of what it is to be, you know, successful. We need to pull up other examples of what it is to be successful. And I think, I don't know, I think Americans were just kind of selfish. And as it relates to what we're doing in Afghanistan, I think that's more of just, like, we want 
our cake and we want to eat it too, essentially. Um, we just don't want to give other people a chance. Um, because we're a country of immigrants, like, what's the big deal about letting in refugees? Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's it's very... I, I've been very disappointed in Biden. Obviously, I've voted yeah. for him. No, and, you know, it's certainly better than whatever the alternative would have been and would have done. But... Um, just I, I don't know. This was not something I expected from him. I think this has been handled very poorly. Um, and I really hope he like finds some way to turn it around and like go back on this nonsense of denial that he's put out there and like we did nothing wrong. I don't know. It's Biden. I mean, <laughs> you know what? You know, Biden's been in Congress forever, like literally forever. And I just think at the end of the day, we got what we voted for. What we wanted was. Um, uh, uh, you know, we wanted a Democrat that didn't scare people. And that's exactly what we got, which is Republican light. He's a traditional Republican from like 30 years ago. Right. That's exactly what he is. Um, he's not really, I really don't consider him a Democrat. So I don't see Biden really being, I don't know, as socialist as they, he's never going to do anything that is against like, I don't know. He's, he's very similar to George Bush senior, I feel. Yeah, I think that it's always confusing to me when I see these comments about him that's just like, that acts like he's the most radical, liberal, like, <laughs> it's I'm just like he, this is the most middle of the road candidate we could have possibly elected. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. It's just bizarre to me. The The whole thing is, is weird. It's just to wrap it up, don't pull up the rope ladder if you make it to the top and also donate to Afghanistan. <laughs> Yeah, donate to Afghanistan if you can. But like the, I was thinking about it from the emotional wellness standpoint. In a sense, do you feel like if you're a marginalized person, do you feel like there's a point where you just don't, where you just want to feel less marginalized? I think because I think that has a lot to do with it. Trying to get to like whatever that pinnacle of success is, and you know, you just want to live your life like you would if you, you know, were like a cis, straight, white male, in a sense. Yeah, I totally get that, and I think that's a really good point, and I think that that's, in the cases where you have queer people who, like, voted for Trump, like, clearly against your own, like, self-interest or whatever, um, or maybe, like, if you were super rich, I guess financially it would be in your own interest, but just this idea that, like, you're normal, you're siding with, like, the quote-unquote normal people. Yes, exactly. So it, it's just, like, you're trying to blend in, which... Yes. Uh, who who wants to? A l- I mean, I know I mean, people do, but I it's just annoying. To. We don't want to. But no. some people... I think a lot of it has to do with wanting to blend in and not wanting to feel othered. Yeah, I, I think that's it, but it's just so sad when people are willing to engage in to me what is like self-hatred when you're voting against your own interests and then like the hatred towards your like community whether it's you know based on racial lines or sexual orientation or gender or whatever just that you would just be like no it's more important for me to fit in than for this person to have like safety and equality yeah yeah and i just really think that like Obviously, this is never going to happen, but it's very utopian speaking. But I just think if we focused, like, all as a society looked at what group was the most marginalized, 
And like to me right now, that is probably black trans women. Most definitely. So I mean, the the rate of like murder and violence among that demographic is disgusting. Yeah. Like they are so at risk. Um, but I think if we just did that and like said, okay, they're the most marginalized. Let's focus on lifting them up, helping them out, doing what we need to do to make them okay. And then once they were elevated, we go to the next group on that list. Who's the most marginalized now? And we just do that over and over in a cycle. It helps everyone. No, it definitely it, it completely helps everyone. That's the whole point, like helping women. I think someone someone in Biden's cabinet was talking about a lot of his infrastructure bill that, of course, they took out. Right. I was geared towards programs that help uh, African-Americans and black women specifically because it's this theory if you help black women, you help everyone right but as a country we're actually never going to see it like that no and that's just really sad because i it would it would help everyone that's the thing it would, it would but um you the people at the top don't want to acknowledge their privilege right and there's a bunch of people in the middle trying to live up to what whatever they perceive is the privileged person. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. So it's what is sad. It again? Rope, was it rope ladders? Yeah, that, that's how Brian Safi describes okay. it. And that's what like spoke to me. But I love your crabs in a barrel. I mean, the yeah. concept is the same. But yeah, the rope ladder. Okay, love it. Rope ladder. Get your ropes. Don't, <laughs> don't hang yourself. No, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, God. So what is it that, you know, what are we not done with this week? Because we're definitely done with that. Yeah, we're done with that for sure. We're done with the <laughs> rope ladder. We're done with all the people that are pulling it up. So, what am I not done with this week? Is it wrong if it's all if it, if it's a TV program again? No, because like mine's always going to be TV, movies, music. So okay, great. So I've been watching White Lotus, which is interesting that you bring up this topic um, because it deals with some um, racial issues. Okay, in also deals with sexuality. Also, I saw memes of someone, some guy eating another guy's ass. Is the, did that the, happen? That that was. A, I don't want to give it away, but there is ass eating in White Lotus. <laughs> that that whole episode was a gag. Basically, it's funny because the first time I ever heard about it, um, there was an article. It was like, do we need another story about rich white people? Right. And I'm just gonna say, after watching a few episodes, you know what? I'm fine with the story about rich white people because it deals with issues in a certain way, and there's all these. It's a. It's really a, an experiment in character develop, the character development. Okay. And I'm not sure who the you know the writers. Are. I haven't looked into it. Just been watching it on HBO. Right. But it's actually a really really great show, and it deals with a lot of the issues um, that we deal with today as a society, as it relates to race, gender, um, and all these different things. And it kind of takes you on this journey. And it's weird because the way it opens, you think the story is going to go one way. Like, you're really thinking it's sort of like a murder mystery, if you will. Okay. Um, but actually, it's more of this character story and delving into delving into the lives of these people. One person's dealing with grief. Another person's dealing with learning that their father is gay. Another person is dealing with being marginalized. Another person is dealing with addiction. It's fantastic in that. Um, so I think it's a great um, array of characters. And watch it. Yeah. Definitely not done with it. How was Jennifer Coolidge? Fantastic. Peruge. Well, I know, but I feel like she did like Stifler's mom forever. Oh yeah, that's true. And then I, when I saw her in Promising Young Woman, I was like, "What is happening?" Oh, so you know what? So you, 
it, the weird thing about her is she's just always whoever she like she just she's always Jennifer Coolidge. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, big hair, big lips, big tits. So she but the way she plays that role and um I don't want to give anything away, but she's the one dealing with grief. Okay. It really fits. Um her her basic like kind of weird personality fits with that particular role as some crazy rich lady. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad she's doing well and like I see all these like think pieces about her where it's just like she's always been in control or whatever but I haven't watched White Lotus so I I was just curious. She was really good and promising young woman but it was like such a small part it's kind of hard to you know say how much of a like difference it is I, from legally blonde. No, she's still a drunk, <laughs> you know, big-lipped, uh funny blonde, quirky as ever. Still still that same and it really works in this role for her. Well, and I think I had read when they were filming this, like, because I think they filmed in Hawaii, yeah. um, that she, she'd, like, met two different men that she, and she liked both of them. Mm. So she, like, pretended she was her own twin so she could, like, date both of them while they were filming. <laughs> I, I don't know the specifics of the story, but I just remember that coming out, like, a couple months before the show came out. I mean, she's, she's fascinating. I could just, like, she needs her own reality show. She's another podcast. She she may have a podcast. <laughs> so, um, so for me, what I am definitely not done with is um, I have had this like resurgence of my interest of like the music of when I was in high school. Mm. But like, I'm not going to say obscure stuff, but it wasn't like, it's all this kind of like acoustic, like... Like, the people who were trying to be John Mayer but didn't make it, oh. like Matt Nathanson and mm. Matt Carney and people like that. I don't know who any, any of those people are. That's, <laughs> and the thing is, no one does. No okay. one does. The only person I've been listening to that you would still know, that anyone would still know now 15 years later, um, is Ashley Simpson. Yeah, Ashley Simpson. So that... that um, album that she had, Autobiography, that came out, I think it was like 2003, give or take a year. Like, that's so underrated. People need to pull that out of the archive and like, I don't know, just, wow. just re-listen. So we're going to re-listen to Jessica Simpson's sister. Okay. Yes, who I honestly think is more interesting. Wow, that's a statement. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and the only reason, like, I feel like both of them have kind of faded away for the most yeah. part. I think Jessica Simpson, like, has her shoe line, whatever. Is she still married to Nick Lachey? Oh, God, no. Oh, wow. I'm so out of it. Okay. No, he, they got divorced and he married Vanessa somebody. Maybe I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I'm not sure. And then didn't she marry, like, Tony Romo, who's, like, a football player or something? Stop paying attention after 2005. Well, everyone everyone <laughs> does. And I think she's happy to just, like, make the money from her shoes or whatever. I like those shoes. <laughs> I mean, they look nice. That's fine. They're cute. Um, and But the only reason anyone's, like, tangentially aware of Ashley Simpson is because, you know, she married... Oh, yeah. She married Diana Ross's son. Yes. So, like, once a quarter, she pops up in Tracy Ellis Ross's Instagram. Facts. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she's beautiful now. I mean, not no. that she wasn't before, but she was, no. like, so emo and, like, you know, the dark, dyed black hair yeah. that was so unnatural to her. And, and I mean, the nose job didn't hurt, but that's no. neither here nor there. But the Diana Ross, who Ashley Simpson's married to, which I completely forgot about, he's in. I think they swap clothes because he's into gender neutral. Oh, clothes. I didn't know that. Yeah, I read some story about it. Is his name Evan, or am I making that up? Um, 
you know what? I forgot his name. <laughs> I should probably I watched something with him in it, but I just forgot. But shout out to him. He's a cute guy. He's very cute. Yeah, super cute. They're cute. I haven't I've never looked at their baby because she's not on the gram or anything like that. Maybe she is. I just haven't looked at her page. Yeah, I I mean I don't know what she's doing. She may be living off the money from this album from two thousand three. Living off that Diana Ross money. That's, well, that's like... <laughs> probably more, yeah. Her and the son. So Exactly. Oh, Mika, are we done here? I think we're done here. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Um, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review. All that stuff is going to help us as we're starting this new podcast. Um, we come out with new episodes every Thursday, so be sure to listen. Um, as we're on the outro, like our music at the top and the bottom of every show is Happy Face Version 2 by Yoshinori747. Um, she has an amazing sound cloud. Please go over there, check that out. Like, stream all of her music. Um, and until next week, we're done here. 